I'm pulling on my driveway. We all know what that means. It's time for another drive to work. Okay, so the last three podcasts, I've talked about Rise of the Eldrazi. But I'm not yet done. So we will continue to do that. And I've gotten up to Kozilek, Butcher of Truth. So one of the things is there were three Eldrazi Titans. Um, there was uh, Emrakul, Kozilek, and Ulamog. And each one of them had a very different flavor to them. Um, so I think that... Uh, uh, I already talked about Emrakul. Emrakul, um, I think, sort of made you question your sanity. And I think that... Um, I don't know what Emrakul did. I know that Kozilek messed with your brain. Maybe Kozilek's the one that made you go crazy. Um, well, I, I know that each of them... I know uh, Ulamog liked to eat things. Um, each one of them had a certain flavor that they did. Um, I'm not an expert on, on, on the Eldrazi flavors exactly. But I know, I know that... Um, we're talking about Kozilek. I know Kozilek Butcher of Truth was all about um, messing with your mind. Uh, that's why he was the Butcher of Truth. Uh, and why he, he, he very much was about knowledge and misinformation. And uh, he just messed with your head, I'm pretty sure. Um, so anyway, who, who, what is Kozilek Butcher of Truth? So he's a 10-man creature, legendary creature, Eldrazi, 12-12. When you cast him, you got to draw four cards. He had Annihilator 4. And he had the shuffle-in clause. If, if for any way he got to the graveyard, he got shuffled into your library. Um, so it's interesting. The, the, he is the cheapest of the three. So uh, I went and looked at this up because I think I got it wrong last time. So Kozilek costs 10. Um, Ulamog, I think, costs 11. And Emrakul costs 15. And so the more expensive ones, uh, they gave, we gave Emrakul protection from colored, which protected him a lot. Uh, we made... Um, Ulamog, indestructible. So, Kozilek was the most fragile of them, but it was the cheaper. But he also drew you four cards that you couldn't stop. Even if you countered it, you didn't stop the drawing of the four cards. And so, he had huge card advantage. So, even if they stopped him, just getting him in play gave you a lot of advantage. Um, and I think all of the big guys, the Titans had at least Annihilator 4. Um, I think... Is Ulamog the one they had? I forget which one had. Anyway, I think... Uh, Two of them had four and one had six. I don't remember right off the top of my head. Um, but anyway, Kozilek was definitely uh, daunting when you got him into play. Okay, next. Linvala, Keeper of Silence. Uh, two white-white, three-four angel. Flying, because it's an angel. Uh, and activated abilities of opponent can't be activated. So one of the things that's interesting is... Let me talk a little bit about our iconics. Um, one of the things we like to do is we like to have each color has a large, rare, splashy... Um, creature that's kind of just connected with that color. Uh, and we try to make sure that those, not only is it connected, but that thematically, philosophically, it matches up. And so one of the things we've tried to do with angels is we've made them very protective. And that their abilities tend to protect their owner. You know, A, they'll fight for you and they're good fighters, but also usually a lot of their abilities protect your creatures or protect you, the player. And this one clearly protects both you, your player, and um, your creatures from your opponent's activated abilities. And so it definitely is kind of like, while I'm here, I shut down things that you might do to harm me. Okay, next, Mnemonic Wall. Um, okay, Mnemonic Wall is a, for four you, four and a blue, it's a zero four wall that when it enters the battlefield, you get to regrow an instant or sorcery. Um, so one of the things I was talking about was there definitely was a theme um, in red and blue of playing spells. There was a deck that sort of allowed you to 
take advantage of playing spells, get some cheap creatures in. Um, and this, this, well, actually, this was doing double duty. So it played in that deck, but it also, if you wanted to, could play in a deck with a defender theme. Now, blue, interestingly enough, I don't think had as many defenders. One of the colors that should have had defenders. It said it was in red. I talked about that already. Um, but anyway, this was a good, this both was, we had a Defender of Matter theme, we had a Spell Matters theme, and this sort of was the crisscross, where both decks might want to use this card. Um, and in general, when doing design, uh, I call them crisscross cards, that they're important. And what that means is, you want cards that say, oh, well, they hit this strategy, and they hit that strategy. Because one of the things to remember is, if your card is only good for one particular type of draft environment, one draft archetype, if it's only good in one particular deck, then what happens is, it always goes to that deck. That no one else wants it but that one deck, and it drifts until they get it. And so, the problem is, A, it means the person playing that deck always gets this card, so there's a lot of repetition of play. Um, and it's important that we want some variety. Also, um, we want to make sure that when people play, that there's, there's different things they have to do. And so, if you just automatically know what you're going to get, a little of that is okay, but too much... Right, leads, leads the decks to being the same and cuts down on a lot of the strategy of figuring out when to take things. You know, the strategy shouldn't be, well, no one's going to take these things, so I don't worry about it. It should be, well, people will want it, but at what, you know, do I want it more than them? Do I take it earlier than them? Okay, next, Mortician Beetle. B, instant, 1-1. One, one. Whenever a player sacrifices a creature, put a plus one, plus one counter on it. Um, so Mortician Beetle is definitely... Uh, Playing, I mean, once again, this is another card that plays into the spawn. Um, uh, in fact, the nice thing about this is it just gets bigger as you as you cast your spawn. And black is one of the colors that had spawn. Um, I think black also had a little bit of a sack theme that could play with this card. Um, I'm pretty sure this card was made made to, to be a token thing. And then as we had other sacrifice effects, we realized that it had a secondary value, which was always good. Next, Moldaya Channelers. 1GG, 2-2, Elf Druid Shaman. Play with the top card of your library revealed. If it's a creature, uh, the card gets plus 3, plus 3. If it's a land, it can tap for 2 of any color mana. I I believe 2 of the same color mana, but any color you choose. Um, So this is definitely... One of the things that's fun to do is... um, This is a neat way to have variants. So one of the variances in the game of Magic is the card drawing. Like, I always talk about how important variance is. Well, Magic has a huge variance built into it. You have a deck that you shuffle, and you don't know the order you're getting your deck. Um, so sometimes when we need to do variance, what we've discovered is if we make you use things that are more iconically random, a die, a coin, the people get a little more uppity because they're like, it just feels too random to them. But the library, which is just as random, feels okay because you've already accepted that kind of that's the randomness in the game. Um, and this is important. In, in design, what you find is psychology becomes very important. Um, and that it's about sort of how people perceive things sometimes as much as what it actually is. Meaning, you can make a card where you were doing the exact, the randomness is the exact same percentages and you're flipping coins versus top of library and people will really bristle against, um, bristle, sorry, bristle against, uh, the coins, but they'll be fine with top of library. And that just has to do with where people accept things. And, and there's a big thing on in psychology of there's certain givens that people have in a game, and if you work your things into the given, you know, you sort of, you can get, like, people have already accepted something. So if you work something into the area that people have accepted, it just, you don't have to sort of get them to accept a different thing. They've already accepted that thing, and that's valuable. Okay. 
And, and by the way, the other thing about Moldiah's channels that was fun is that it was a card in which it really changed your strategy from turn to turn. Because, you know, being a 5-5 creature really wants you to attack with it. Being able to tap for two mana really wants you to cast spells. And so there definitely was a neat interaction of sort of... Uh, it's a creature that was very useful, but varied in its use from turn to turn. Um, oh, another thing I want to bring up. Another reason that variance is very fun is um, it is fun to force players to have to adapt. One of the most fun things I think about variance is adapting is fun, meaning one of the things that, that, I mean, players don't seek this out usually, but when it happens they enjoy it is the idea that, oh, well, this is what I was given, and I have to do, I have to make work with what I have, what I, what I call MacGyvering in, in gameplay, that there's a lot of fun in going, well, this is what I got, you know, I, I, I have uh, some uh, shoelaces and lighter and uh, a bag of chips, what can I do, you know, and that you really, really feel good when you figure out how to take that thing. You know, when you draw the perfect draw, well, you do what you do, and it's, obviously winning is fun, and, you know, it, it's fun to just get the perfect draw, but sometimes it's, just, it's also fun to go, wow, that's not, I've never had this combination of cards before. What do I do with that? And a lot of magic, it's that kind of dealing with things that is fun. And so cards like this that sort of force you to go, okay, well, I have a 5-5 five five this turn. I didn't necessarily plan on attacking, but now that I have a 5-5, five five, hmm, maybe that changes what I want to do. Um, anyway, I, I, I like cards like this a lot. Next, 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 near-death experience. So this is an enchantment for two white, white, white. So it's two colors and three white. At beginning of the upkeep, if you're exactly at one life, you win the game. So this is what we call an alternative win condition, or an alt-win condition for short. Um, we try to stick one of these, uh, not necessarily in every set, but at least in every block. Um, and the idea is... Magic has, you know, a few key... I mean, the main, way, reason, the main way to win Magic is through damage. Secondary, you can deck people. Those are both built into the game. And then we like giving people other means by which they can win. Um, usually, it's the Johnnies of the world that have the most fun with this, which is kind of like, oh, well, how do I do this? How can I win with this? It's a challenge to try to figure out. Um, and usually, our alt-win cards aren't so good that they show up in tournaments. Um... There's a few exceptions, obviously. Um, poison managed to, you know, make make fringe in tournaments. Battle of Wits showed up at fringe in tournaments. But usually the alt-wins tend not to be the dominant decks. You know, only because we want to make sure that it's not, you know, if it's too easy to win a certain way, then it just shifts the game too much, and you want the balance in the game. But it is fun. Uh, and this is a perfect example where, okay, I have a challenge. i got to get to exactly one life. How do I do that? And not only have to get to one life, I have to keep it to the beginning of the next upkeep. Uh, beginning of my upkeep. Um, and we always tend to do all wins, we tend to do all wins as triggers, because we want to give your opponent a, a, a turn to deal with whatever you're doing to try to stop you. Okay, Nest Invader. 1G22 Eldrazi drone. When it enters the battlefield, you get a, a, a drone, a spawn. Sorry, a spawn. A uh, spawn, once again, for those that haven't listened to all the podcasts, is a 0-1 uh, colorless creature token you can sack for one colorless mana. Um... So this is a perfect example of how we make Grizzly Bear. And so Grizzly Bear, which is 1G22, or uh, what's it called now? Uh, you can tell I... I, I uh, yeah. We've remade Grizzly Bears with a different name. Um, uh, as an old-timer, I always remember those Grizzly Bears. Uh, 1G22 is something that we're just allowed to do better than, and in fact, we often do better than. It's almost... In fact, there's a long list of cards, which, are, which, which I would call the strictly better than Grizzly Bear cards, and this is one of them. 
Uh, and the idea is you get a little something extra on Grizzly Bear. Grizzly Bear is not in the top of the, of the curve. And so, for example, you can get a spawn. This cover is actually pretty good. If you ever play Limited in Price of Drazi, that, that is good. But it's funny, because I talked about how um, the one the one W22 that was just a, a vanilla was not good, and this, which is a 1G22, that just gives you a spawn. Turns out that's the difference. You're getting a spawn... Um, definitely makes it worth its while. That actually is, in this environment especially, especially in green, which ramps. Okay, next. Nurkana Revenant. So this is a 4BB, 4 black black, 4 4 vampire shade, that all your swamps tap for an additional black, and it has uh, the shade ability, uh, tap a black mana, get plus one, plus one until end of turn. So there is, uh, in this block, there was a vampire theme. Uh, And while we didn't continue allies, we did continue vampires. Uh, which makes me question why we didn't do it. It was a mistake, by the way. Uh, on the record, we, I mean, not that we should have carried the ally mechanic over, but we should have had a creature-type ally. It flavor would have made sense. It would have played nicely. It really wouldn't have been hard to do. So, anyway, mistake on our part. Um, but anyway, the vampires did carry through, and this was us sort of mixing a vampire with a shade. Um, so, black has this interesting relationship with mana. So, green is the color of long-term mana, of rampant growth and you know, elves that tap for green and stuff. Uh, red, we get the short term, the, the rituals, the things that you get mana, it's here and gone. Black, uh, black kind of dips its toe in, and where black gets to dip its toe in is, it can, uh, they say the rich get richer, well, the, the, the swamp gets swampier, if you will. The black is allowed to both get swamps and to make its swamps produce more black mana. They can get black mana out of its swamps. Uh, so one of Black's themes is that it tries to encourage you to just play black. That it, it definitely, is the, of all the colors, the color the most says, you know, you know, these other colors are nice, but wouldn't you like to play more of me? Play more black. Black's your friend. Black's your buddy. Play more black. What can go wrong? Um, and so the idea is we were mixing up two different things here. So one was black is allowed to tap for more, you know, is allowed to make a swamp tap for additional black. Oh, and black also is a color of shades. Shades being creatures that can pump themselves up. Um, the problem we ran into was, well, normally we, we do the pump-up on shades, but in this environment, we, want, we were trying to make vampires matter. So the answer, vampire shades. I don't even know what that means. I'm not sure what a vampire shade is, but we have one. So it's both vampire and shade. Uh, maybe it's a shady vampire. I, I, I don't quite know what that means, but the creative team was okay with it, so I was okay with it. Next spell, not of this world, seven mana for a tribal instant Eldrazi. Um, so you counter-target spell of an ability targeting a permanent you control, but it costs seven less, or it's free, if you are, if the creature, or if the permanent you are protecting is a creature with power seven or greater. So the idea is, if I want to tap out to play giant Eldrazi, if you want to do something, oh, well, I have this free counter spell that can protect my giant Eldrazi. It doesn't just protect Eldrazi, it also protects other giant creatures, but... The idea of the spell was a means by which to protect your Eldrazi. Ogre's Cleaver. A two-mana artifact equipment that uh, equipped creature gets plus five, plus O, and you equip for five. Um, the idea here was we wanted uh, the, um, the denizens of, of Zendikar um, definitely needed to fight the Eldrazi, and so we wanted to give them a few tools. They tended to like their equipment, so we're like, how do you fight a giant creature? Well... How about with a giant equipment? Uh, and we made this expensive, uh, and it only pumps power, so it, it doesn't really... You, know, you don't survive the fight with the Eldrazi, but at least you can stop them, hopefully. Hopefully. Unless it's, unless it's like Ulamog or 
Uh, I guess Ulamog's was indestructible. Uh, okay, next. Oust. W. Sorcery. Put target creature second from the top of owner's library. Its controller gets three life. So, one of the things that happens from time to time in design is you have design philosophy sort of clashing together with mechanics. And, and I'll explain. So, blue is the color of unsummoning. So, what is more severe than unsummoning? How about unsummoning to the top of your library? That's like super unsummoning. Meanwhile, white is the color of delay. Well, how do I delay something? I mean, not get rid of it, delay it. It's like, well, I could put it back in your hand, or I could put it back in your library. I could, you know, I put it two from your top. You're not going to get it for a little while. That's me delaying you. Um, and so for a while, both white and blue were putting cards on the top of the library, or, you know, a few, a few down from the top of the library. Uh, and we had, we have a thing called card crafting, where we talk about sort of design development issues, more technical stuff. And basically we said, okay, do we want white and blue both putting cards on top of a library? Uh, we decided long ago we didn't want green doing that. Um, and so the question was, who should be doing this? Uh, and we went back and forth. We finally decided it was better to pick a color. And so we decided that blue made more sense and that it, that it felt more like a super unsummon. Uh, and so white no longer has this ability uh, and blue now does. Um, okay, next. Overgrown Battlement. 1G, 04 wall, defender, tap green for each defender you control. Um, so, one of the things we wanted to do is we wanted to have a Defender Matters theme. And so one of the ways to make Defender Matters is to have defenders that tap for scalable abilities. What scalable abilities means is you tap to do X. X is the number of whatever, you know, um, tribal thing you're caring about. In this case, defenders. Um, although, technically, it's not, technically, technically, it's not tribal because walls... Um, you're not caring about walls because not all of these are walls. This one happens to be a wall. But a lot of the red ones, for example, were elementals. Um, it, so actually, it's defender matters. Technically, it's caring about a mechanic. Um, but it works a lot like a tribal card in that it's like, oh, well, for the number of defenders I have in play, um, this one allowed you to cast things. So what you could do in this version is you could play a bunch of defenders to protect yourself and then use it to get out larger things uh, you know, earlier because all I need to do is get a couple defenders out and all of a sudden I'm tapping this wall for a lot. Especially if I have multiples of these walls. Okay, next. Pelica Worm. 4GGG, that's 7 mana total, 4 colors, 3 green, for a 7-7 worm. It has trample. When it enters the battlefield, you gain 7 life. When it dies, you draw a card. So this is definitely one of the things where we were trying to make a creature, a big creature that just was attractive that you wanted to play. And even if they killed it, you weren't super unhappy. I mean, you're unhappy, but they wasted a kill spell, and you still got a lot. So notice it's a 7 converted mana cost card. It makes a 7-7. Seven, seven. You gain 7 life. Yeah, drawing seven cards would have been too much. Um, so basically what it is, up front you get some life, and you get to play with this, but if they ever kill it, you get to replace it, you get to draw a card. And so, um, it definitely just try encouraging you to go, hey, it's worth your while to play this creature. Um, and then in play, it's a seven-seven creature. It's a giant worm. So we, that, that was pretty cool. Pestilence Demon. Five black, black, black for a seven-six demon flying... And then for one black mana, it can do one damage to every creature and every player. So, um, Time Spiral was a set where we, we did a lot of nostalgia, and we filled it to the brim of cards referencing other cards, and every card was like, remember this, remember that? So we don't, we really haven't done another nostalgia set, but that doesn't mean we don't do nostalgic cards from time to time. And so this card is a callback to a card from Alpha and Urza Saga, a common for some reason. Uh, it calls Pestilence, for those who might not know this. So Pestilence was an enchantment. 
and it allows you to do one damage uh, to each creature and player for each block you spent. And then, if you had no creatures in play, it would go away. So notice that this card doesn't have the rider because, well, it's a creature. So uh, if you have no creatures in play, then it's not in play, and obviously it's gone away. Um, but anyway, we thought it was kind of cool to put Pestilence on a creature. We felt like a demon made a lot of sense. Um, uh, and notice, once again, a little aesthetic thing the design does, which is very subtle, but it costs 8, and it's a 7-6. Um, anyway, entertains us. Uh, so next, Rage Nimbus. Rage Nimbus. Rage for the Nimbus. Okay, so Rage Nimbus is a 2 and a red for 5-3 elemental. It's got Defender flying, and for 1 and a red, target creature must attack. Okay, I- I've been railing against the red walls. The one thing I will say is we at least did a decent, ge- we did a decent job in-, in a vacuum of making each of the walls feel red. I don't think overall walls are red. Um, oh, and once again, this is technically not a wall. It's an elemental. It's a defender. Um, we, we Defenders aren't particularly red in my mind, but I did feel like we did try hard to make each... You know, Something we couldn't change it and we had to have defenders in red, but let's try to make them feel red. And this one is, uh, is interesting for a defender. It's a high-powered... Usually defenders have low power, that they're good at blocking, but they don't kill things. This one's a little different, which makes it a little more red in my mind, which is, I'm a good wall, a good defender. I'll block and kill things. Now, I have a three toughness. If you, if you send a big enough thing, you'll kill me. Um, but the neat thing about it is I have the ability to make things attack. So both red and blue have the ability to force things to attack. Um, uh, the flavor's slightly different. Red, red just makes you, you, you get all emotional and, and not think anymore and go, ah, and charge, where blue's a little more mind manipulation. But red and blue have a lot in common, if you really we start boiling it down. A lot of the enemies, it's interesting how there's a lot of things they do in common. Anyway, um, so this was definitely a wall... It, this wall was pretty powerful because it also doubled as removal. That your opponent couldn't play, um, couldn't play small, small creatures while this was in play because they could force you to kill the small creatures. And so, um, this, this was a pretty potent wall. It's the kind of thing we'd be careful about nowadays because it's repetitive kill and that, um, it, it is, even a 5-3 sometimes is a little hard to kill, especially in this environment where you know, the, the, the kill is a little a little lower than normal, although most of it, a lot of it can hit three, but not all of it. Next, Raid Bombardment. 2R Enchantment. Uh, creatures with power two or less when they attack. This deals one damage. Um, so this card was made to do a couple things. Probably number one thing it was made to do was play nicely with spawn. We have a lot of spawn enabling in the set. Um, this allowed you to essentially do damage with spawn. Um, and you put, your, you put your opponent in a, a quirky place. I mean, they can block and kill the spawn without any damage to them, but it allowed you to turn your spawn into damage directly. Um, it also played with the deck I ta- I've been talking about, where you get a lot of little things through. Um, it, it played nicely with that deck. Next, Rapacious One. 5R, 5-4, Eldrazi Drone. Trample, and it has what I like to call Spawn Link, which is not a technical term. Um, uh, so basically, it is uh, kind of like Life Link, except instead of gaining a life for every damage you do, you get to make a spawn for every damage you do, which is pretty good. I mean, I mean make, make no mistake, it is pretty good. Um, so the, uh, I think the idea was, remember, um, in this set, red, green, and black were more tied to the Eldrazi, and the spawn making was in red, green, and black. Um, and so we tried to... Um, find different ways to do that. So we want to make sure that the different colors can make spawn in a different way. 
Um, I really like the idea of combat damage turning into spawn, and so the question was where to stick it. Um, I think we loved the idea of it being with trample, uh, and green was doing a lot more of the, the make additional spawn, so we said, okay, let, let's... We had carved a little more space up for green, so we decided to give it to red. Um, it also is nice because red was a little more aggressive. A lot of, a lot of green spawn making was a little more uh, controlling and rampy. Um, and so uh, the green spawning had a little more like sit back, where the red we were trying to make a little more aggressive. Um, I mean, there was some aggressive green spawn making, but uh, anyway, that is rapacious one. See how are we doing on... Uh... Okay, I'm almost to work. Uh, the, 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 the thing that's interesting when I do these, uh, I walk through the cards, is what I do ahead of time is I'll sit at home and I will just go through and anything catches my eye, I'll write it down. And then what I started doing is I'd write them down so that I know what they are, so that I, I can know their costs and stuff. Because early on, I've given people this my podcast for a long time, I used to just name the card and talk about it. And the people were like, I don't, what is that card? I have not, I, I Rise of Draws is a long time ago. What does that card do? And since I can never remember names, I'm like, oh, that's unkind to make other people remember names. So uh, I now try to write it all down. Uh, I write it as brief as I can since I am driving. Um, but I do have, I, I have a little bit of notes. Sometimes you can hear the, ru- the, the rustling of my notes. Uh, that's what you hear. Okay, so let's get to Realms Uncharted. Okay, so Realms Uncharted is an instant for two and a green. You get to search your library for four lands that all have different names. Your opponent takes two of them and puts them in your graveyard, and the other two get to go into your hand. So can anybody figure out the inspiration for this card? Well, let me tell you a story. So in Tempest, um, I made a card called Intuition. Uh, in Intuition, uh, you went in your library and you got, I think it was three cards... Um, and then your opponent um, chose which one went in your hand, and the other two went to your graveyard. Um, uh, and the intent of the, t- the intent of the time was that they were all different, but I forgot to write down that they were all different. Uh, and so development started playing with it, and so the answer was you went and got whatever you wanted, you went and got multiple copies of it so that you guaranteed that you got it. Um, and I'm like, well, that wasn't really my intent. My intent wasn't that you just went and got however many... You're like, I wanted you to have different ones. And I said, okay, guys, no, 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 I, fine. I forgot to write this down. This is what I meant. And development was like, no, no, no. We like the card as is. We're not going to change it. And I was like, no, but that, that wasn't what I meant. And they're like, you know, anyway. So I'm like, okay. So years later, during, uh, I think actually development, because I wasn't on the design team, of Champions of Kamigawa, uh, there's a hole. And I said, you know what? I've always wanted to make this card but the way I meant to make it, which is that they had to be different choices. So we made Gifts Ungiven. So Gifts Ungiven, you pick four cards. I think we made it four rather than three to make it different from Intuition. Um, and anyway, the card was also very popular. Um, and so uh, when we were making the set, uh, once again, I, I, think, I think this was my doing in development. If, if this was made in design, I apologize to the designers. Um, but this card is Gifts Ungiven for land. In fact, I'm... Pretty sure if you went back into the uh, card file and looked at the the name, the playtest name, I'm sure it was something like Lands Ungiven or something. Um, but anyway, it, it is a green Gifts Ungiven. That is what it is. And um, it allows you to sort of uh, have some access to land. And the, the, the same reason Gifts Ungiven was sort of fun is sometimes you want things in your graveyard, sometimes you want in your hand. And it, it's neat to give your opponent interesting choices. Um, so one of the things people... 
uh, a common misnomer that people often talk about is how people understand how we design for Timmy. We make big, giant, splashy, exciting things. People understand how we design for Johnny, that we make, you know, um, you know things you have to build around or think about how you would make, uh, you know, challenging puzzling cards. Um, but how do you design for Spike? There's a belief that you don't design for Spike. Spike just plays the good cards. So just make cards and price some of them aggressively, and Spike will play those cards. Uh, and the answer is, Spike will play what is good, but there's a difference between making cards that Spike will play versus making cards that Spike will enjoy. And one of the things that Spikes very much enjoy is the ability to... They love when cards... The power of the cards is dependent on the skill of the player. You know, for example, that... Um, I mean, Gifts and Given is a very classic example of this. Uh, Factor Fiction is another famous one, where it's like... Look, I can take this card, and that if I, you know, the more skillful player is going to have an advantage because, you know, part of doing uh, both Gifts and Given or Factor Fiction is knowing what you want, knowing your what you have, knowing what your opponent has, knowing what your opponent thinks you want, you know, and a lot of this is playing, playing off your opponent. You want your opponent to have a decision because, you know, they're going to value certain things, they're going to find certain things threatening, and a lot of playing it well is really understanding your opponent and making decisions in which the idea is, you know, Realms Uncharted or Gifts Ungiven or Intuition, all these cards, that if you give it to an experienced player, they're just going to be better with it. They're just going to, it's going to be a more powerful card. And that is something Spike really, really likes. The idea that, um that a card gains power from their knowledge. Not, not inherently just the cards themselves, but their skill as a player increases the power of the card. And that, spikes love that. You know, because uh, spike, spike, the psychographic is all about sort of proving what you're capable of. Well, having a card in which it gets better, the better I am, and I can demonstrate how good I am every time I play it, that's, that's pretty spiky and a lot of fun. Okay. I am now at work. And so... Uh, it is time for me to wrap up for today. So, I got to R. So, next time I will start talking about Cirque and the Mad, and I believe I will finish. So, one more, well, one, a fifth podcast, and then we will be done. Um, I always try to balance this, by the way, between hitting as many cards as I can, because people like to be talking about the cards, but I don't want them to be too long. I did Theros, and that was Aiden, that was too long, and so, um, this one's looking to be five. Five's a little on the long side, but um, I, there's a lot of fun cards. Rizzo Drazi, like I said, there's, there's a lot of ups and downs, but there's a lot of... You know, Brian made interesting cards. He, he definitely was a fun designer. I loved working with Brian. And he pushed boundaries and did crazy stuff. And they're interesting cards, so it's fun to talk about. So anyway, as much as I like talking about magic, even more, I like making magic. So it's time for me to go, but I'll talk to you next time. Thanks for joining me, guys. <laughs>